Well, good morning, church family, and all the parents see that video and say, really, you had to start with that this morning, a tearjerker like that this morning, and I'm one of those parents who are saying with you, really, you had to start with that tearjerker this morning, but that's going to set the direction a little bit of what we're going to be talking about this morning as we as a church begin to continue, or really continue to wrap our minds around what it means to be a church that takes very seriously investing in the next generation. Now, let me just take a couple minutes here at the beginning before we dive into God's Word and really set a course for us for the next few weeks as a church family. Uh, the month of August is a very important month for all of us. Uh, we know that school is getting back in session and vacations are over and schedules begin to have some normalcy and consistency. So the month of August is always a real trajectory-setting month, a focus-setting month for our church, and this month is no different. And just want to let you know, we're going to be wrestling over the next couple of weeks with some, with some things that are core to who we are as Tri-Cities Baptist Church. So if you've been here for many years, some of these things are going to be a reminder to you. If you are new to our church, the next couple of weeks are going to be very informative for you. Next week, we're going to be wrestling from the scripture the whole idea of what it means to truly be in fellowship and connected with one another and the idea that God never intended us to be journeying along this thing called life alone but in godly biblical Christian community with one another not flying solo not walking as a lone ranger so to speak we're going to wrestle with that next week then in a couple of weeks we're going to wrestle with the thing that we are continually holding out and that we want to gather around and rally around together that we, all of us, if this is your church home, we are the evangelistic strategy of the church. It's not a program, it's not a plan, it's not a strategy, it's people. Each one of us as we go and take the gospel where we live, work, and play. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks and be challenged to do that over the next three months, very specifically as a church family. Then we're going to jump into the book of 1 Timothy in September, walk through a verse-by-verse study. That's our norm. We're going to have a few topical series going uh, messages this month, but then we'll jump into 1 Timothy. And our focus today, so let me back all that up and say, okay, what about today? Well, our focus today is simply going to be this reality, and then I'm going to give you a big picture thought in just a minute. But our focus today is the reality. As a church, we exist to make disciples who make disciples. That's why we exist. That's what we're about. You, we talk about it all the time. But here's what we believe. We believe the Bible clearly teaches that discipleship begins in the home. The whole picture of discipleship begins in the home. What does that look like? We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. We're going to walk through some scriptures and then give you some helps and talk about where we're going as a church to live this out and how you can be a vital part of that. Now, if you'll give me just a little bit of license, I want to give you a disclaimer this morning. I'm going to put my notes aside for a minute. And I'm just going to talk to you for a second. I've got to, I've got to just share this with you. I, I think it's important for me to say I would greatly appreciate, and I, I've got to say that uh, God's timing of things is always a little bit ironic, isn't it? The way God times events in our lives and the way God times the way things work out would never be our timing. We trust that God's timing is always best. We as a church have had this date on the calendar set aside for many, many months that we're going to talk about the family. 
So I just need you to know, I need your prayers this morning as I talk about the family this week, coming off of a week and really coming off of a season that has been at times very challenging and at times great victory for my, my family personally. Uh, I, like you, I, I have little ones in my home and we started school last week and we're getting into school this week. So you're thinking of all the things that go along with that. Well, let me just tell you, in my family this week we are sending off a kindergartner, we are sending off a first grader, a sixth grader, a high school sophomore, and a college freshman. We're busy. <laughs> and we get to talk about the family this week. God's timing is incredible. As many of you know, we believe as a family, we hope, along with several other families in our church, we have been part of a foster care process for the past 22 months. We've had two incredible little girls in our home, and we believe we are within two, maybe three prayerful, prayerful weeks of that process being final and being adoptive parents, and we are incredibly encouraged about that. That's a lot going on in our home. And then, not to pluck the emotional strings, but I just want to get this out here to you so we can kind of all be on the same page. All of this, perhaps, coming off one of the heaviest weeks of my heart is the fact that on uh, Monday morning, I, uh, I had the privilege This is therapy for me, so thank you. This is a group therapy session. Thanks. I had the privilege of sitting beside my dad's bed as he breathed his last. What a privilege that was. So with all of this fresh on my mind, we're going to attempt to talk about the family and know that this week, I personally said goodbye for now, right? As believers, it's goodbye for now to the greatest man I've known in this world, and that's my dad. So much of what we're going to talk about today and the role of the family and investing into the next generation, I just want you to know I've had modeled by my dad for 44 years my life. So this comes with great passion. This comes as a great priority to me. This comes as a great gift of what I've had the privilege of seeing and knowing for 44 years and what I so desperately want for our church family over the next 15, 20, 30, 40 years. So here's the big idea for us this morning. And here's the direction we're going. And my prayer and my hope is through all this and through all my snot and tears and wiping this morning and all that, that... Here's the big idea that I want us to become even more convinced of, and this reality from Scripture is this reality. And here we go. That the people of God have always been entrusted with the responsibility to tell the next generation about the greatness and glory of our God. I want us as a church, because the Scripture holds it out to us, because the Spirit of God drives it into our hearts like a stake to believe that if you are a believer, if you're a child of God, and you call this your church home in particular, 
something that is a focus for us. It is something we're gathering around is the reality that the people of God, that's us, we've always been entrusted with the responsibility to tell the next generation about the greatness of our God. It's our responsibility. Now what that looks like and how we live that out in partnership with the home and the family of faith, working together to do that is what we want to talk about a little bit this morning. So I'm going to take just a few minutes and I'm going to walk you through scripture. I'm going to start in Genesis and we're going to end up in Ephesians. And you're saying, oh man, we're going to be here all day. It's going to be very brief. We're not exegeting a passage like we would normally do, but I'm going to give you a few verses. And I want you to see from scripture. I want you to become convinced that it is our responsibility. We are disciple makers. And discipleship begins in the home. We, the people of God, have that responsibility. Now, let me walk you through just a few examples in Scripture. First, you don't have to turn there. You could go all the way back to Genesis 4. Genesis 4 was after the fall. You've got a couple, Adam and Eve. They've got a couple boys. Cain and Abel. Genesis 4, verse 3, 4, and 5 in that area say, In the fullness of time, as the days went along, Cain brought an offering to the Lord. Abel brought an offering to the Lord. As I read that, I think, how in the world did they know to do that? Well, it wasn't because of the Christian school they went to. And it wasn't because they'd been raised up in vacation Bible school, as good as all those things may be. It was because from the very beginning, the first parents began to teach the children that came after them of what it means to walk with God. Now Cain brought an offering from his vegetable garden, Abel, so to speak, an offering from his livestock. One was a good picture of the fact that there's separation between us and God there must be a sacrifice and one pointed to the sacrifice Jesus that was coming and one did not but the point is from the very beginning the people of God and there was only two of them at that point Adam and Eve taught and told the next generation about the greatness and how to be right and how to walk with God second there's endless illustrations let me just give you a few Second one, you can turn to Exodus if you'd like, Exodus chapter 12, just kind of keep your Bibles handy this morning. Again, this is going to be a different, kind of a different way of doing it this morning. We're not taking one passage and walking through it, but I'm going to show you a couple different verses. Exodus 12, verse 17, if you want to turn there. People of God, nation of Israel, they've been in bondage 400 years in Egypt. God sends a deliverer, Moses, he's going to lead the children of Israel out. One of the greatest pictures of redemption and salvation in God's plan. Anywhere in the Bible, he leads out through a deliverer, Moses, the people of God, from bondage to freedom. Across the Red Sea, God sends judgment. God stays his judgment for the people of God. When they took the blood of the lamb and painted it over their doorpost, they had a meal They had a celebration called the Passover. They had a meal called the Meal of Unleavened Bread. And that meal was given to parents to practice on a yearly basis. Why? Exodus 12, verse 17 says, You shall celebrate the festival of unleavened bread and the Passover all together because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions or your groups out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance. Why? For the generations to come. 
From the very beginning, God tells Moses. Moses tells the people, listen, you're going to have this celebration. You're going to have this meal. You're going to do it every year. You're going to be generation to generation so that you will tell. I'm going to build it into the fabric of your very yearly schedule. I'm going to build it into the way you celebrate as a family so that on a regular basis you are telling the generation to come of the greatness and the glory of God. What's the point? People of God have always been entrusted with the responsibility to tell the coming generation about the greatness and the glory of God. Flip on ahead, Deuteronomy chapter 6. You've been with us any time over the last couple years as we've talked about this. You said, I knew we were going to get to Deuteronomy 6. We can't even talk about this without getting to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3, 4, in that area. Now we go forward about 40 years or so. The people of God, nation of Israel, going into the promised land. They're going to build their lives. They're going to build their homes. They're going to establish there. They're going to build their families for the next hundreds and hundreds of years. And from the beginning, God said, okay, here's something you are to build into the very fabric of your family culture, of the way you do life. This is to be a part of your DNA. This is to be part of the way you operate. And he says this to the people of Israel, the people of God. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel. And the word hear, by the way, means listen. Pay attention. I got something to say. Hear. O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. By the way, I think it's very important to note here, as Moses instructed the people of God to do this, the message they were sharing was very countercultural. <laughs> to hear, this is huge for us, to hear in that culture that there is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one in that culture of polytheism and all the gods of Canaan and all that was held out to hold out a message that there's one God hero Israel was completely countercultural. here's the application for you and me the next generation was not getting that message from anywhere else but the people of God I think you know I think I know we need to be reminded that when it comes to the next generation, when it comes to this generation, the truth of who God is, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the future, the truth of what it all means, the truth of how we began, the truth of where we're going, all of that held in the Bible, our children are not getting that message out in culture today. It comes from the home and it comes from the church and that's about it. See that? Every generation, tell Tell. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Verse 6, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and daughters. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Listen, from the very beginning, it's like Moses said, okay, when you go into the land, this is to be into the very fabric of the DNA, the way you live your life. You're to be speaking the truth of who God is and what God has done and raising up the next generation. It's always been the responsibility of the people of God. Fast forward. Let me show you a couple other examples really quick. Psalm 145. Go ahead and turn there. If you have your Bibles, you can flip. If not, it'll be on the screen. Psalm 145. Now King David. Fast forward several hundred, year, hundred years. Nation of Israel, King David. The writer of many of our psalms says, 
this to the people of God. Psalm 145, verse 3 and 4, David writes this as a songwriter, as the writer of the Psalms, as the sweet psalmist of Israel, as the king of the land says, verse 3, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Verse 4, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. The king says, listen, this generation, we have a responsibility as the men and women of God. Tell the next generation. David affirms what we heard in Exodus, what we see in Deuteronomy, and now cries out to the people of Israel. Now the New Testament. Flip on over to the book of Ephesians really quick. Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul writing to the New Testament community now, the church, these new believers, this movement called the early church. He writes to a group of believers in Ephesus and multiple churches in that area. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, Paul says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction. Some translations say the nurturing and the admonition. There's the encouragement side, there's the coming alongside, and there's just the discipline side. Sometimes that can be painful. It's necessary. All in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Translation. Tell the next generation of the greatness of God. So it's hard to read through the Bible and it's hard to Spend any time in this book, no matter where you land, there is an ongoing weight of responsibility and a weight of reality, a biblical conviction that if you're here and you are a follower of Christ, you got a responsibility and so do I. And by the way, this responsibility is not, so don't check out on me, it's not just for parents. It's for the entire family of faith when we talk about we have a responsibility to those that are coming behind us. So I'm not just talking to parents. I'm not just talking to grandparents or aunts and uncles. I'm talking to the entire family of faith to say, God in His Word has been crystal clear that we are to tell with intentionality, with clarity, with consistency... The next generation about the greatness and the glory of who God is. So for us here, let me transition now a little bit and talk about all right, this particular family of faith, Tri-Cities. Yes, we're part of the global church. Yes, we are part of all that God is doing. But in particular, if this is your family of faith, I identify here. I'm all in. I'm with this family. What does that look like here? What does that look like for you? What does that look like for me as Pastor Mike, as Dad Mike, as Father Mike, as friend Mike, me? What does it look like for me to be part of this family of faith? I'm going to walk you through that for just a few minutes this morning. So let me give you some terms. Let me give you some convictions. We use a phrase around here a lot called family discipleship. You've heard that. The idea of family discipleship for us is a way to say that we believe as a church Discipleship begins in the home. It's a way for us to say as a church exactly what the Bible's been saying from Genesis all the way through, that we, the people of God, recognize something, that it is our responsibility to speak into and to tell the next generation. Let me give you a definition. 
So what is family discipleship? You can put that definition up on the screen. We'll say it this way, just for clarity for all of us. Family discipleship is a strategic and intentional partnership between the family of faith, that's all of us, and the family at home, that's each of you, to help the next generation find their joy in Jesus. That's our way of kind of saying family discipleship. That's what we mean. That's what it is. It's for all of us. It comes from a deep-rooted biblical conviction. This is not some program that we're chasing. This is not just the next best thing. This is something we are convinced, and I want you to be convinced, this bubbles up out of the very Word of God. What's that going to look like here? God has entrusted this to us. He has not entrusted this to the government He has not entrusted this even to the school systems. He has entrusted this primarily to the people of God and to the family. Working in partnership together. Now, I just went over the first reality that I'm going to give you four realities on this this morning. And we're going to kind of wrestle around with these a little bit. I've been kind of going over the first reality that that the responsibility is to the people of God to tell the next generation. Let me give you reality number two and build out from there. Reality number two is this, family discipleship is the responsibility of the entire family of faith. Now I've said this, but let's talk about that for a little bit. You see in scripture and you see the church community owning this together and coming alongside families, we are convinced that every person who especially calls Tri-Cities their home has a role to play in this. Uh, this is not say, well, I'm not a parent, I'm not a grandparent, I'm not an aunt, I'm not going to check out, I'm going to check my Facebook, I'm going to do something. No, this is all of us as a family of faith have a responsibility. Now, the question for you this morning, what is your responsibility? What is your role? What's your part in this? Listen, it can look so many different ways. I was just making my notes this morning or finishing my notes this morning. A couple examples came to my mind that in many ways you're doing this in this church. In many ways, I can think of families right now. I think about Harold and Laura Marlowe, who are members of this church. They are uh, later in life. They don't have young kids at home. But Harold and Laura Marlowe, many of you know them. If you have a child who's in preschool or elementary, they've been influenced on your child. They've determined that we're going to invest our time and energy back into the next generation because we're going to serve in the ministries here of our church and invest back in the next generation. That's their way, their part in serving. That may be the role for many of you. We have that role, or we have that on Sunday morning, so many opportunities to invest in our preschoolers, our elementary kids, our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, that next generation. And it should be, and I pray it is so as a church, that we're never scurrying for volunteers. And I pray that we would turn that corner around where as we pursue this together to work in preschool or to serve in elementary is not babysitting. (laughs) Amen. I got a second amen. Awesome. In other words, as a church, we've determined we're not babysitting, nor are we creating ministries that's drop off at the door and I'll pick my child up when he's discipled. That's not our direction either. But the direction is a partnership, so there are 
infinite opportunities where you could say, yes, I'm going to invest in the life of a student. I'm going to invest in the life of a young person. I'm going to serve on Sunday morning. I'm going to serve on Wednesday night, whatever that is. Endless opportunities. You may take a course like John and Janice Brooks in our church with other families. They're older. They don't have children at home. What do they do? They invest in the young couples of our church who are just beginning this process of discipleship. And they literally come alongside young couples and walk along with them and kind of say, we've been there. We've done this. Let me, let me explain what that looks like. Some of you in this room, and I want to talk particularly to those of you who've been married for a while. Maybe your kids are out of the home and you're saying, what part do I have to play in this church anymore? I'm older. It's like the next generation is passing me on. Can I plead with you as a younger man, if I can call myself that? Okay, thanks. A younger man, this church... People my age and younger are craving older men and women to speak back into our lives and say, here's what I've experienced, here's how I've learned to trust God, here's what it looks like, you're not going crazy, I had those struggles, let me walk along with you. Can I just plead with you that you have that privilege in our church? You say, there's not a program developed. There doesn't have to be a program developed. Be the church. Beg God to put somebody on your heart. And you have a young couple over to your home and say, we would just love to get to know, know you and pray for you and walk alongside you. Could you imagine how much stronger we are as a church? If you even have the notion that our church is just so young and I don't have a place, I pray that that notion is blown away this morning and you before God say, God, how can I give back to some of these young couples, some of these single moms? There should be no single mom in our church who's trying to raise a family without somebody in the body of Christ coming alongside them and saying, I'll be there, I'll help pick up your kids. I know you don't have grandparents in town, I'll be that. I'll be that. And it's not a program from the top down. Here, listen. It's the church being the church. The church being the church. See? So we talk about this whole thing of family discipleship and equipping our people to carry out this role. Understand, it is for all of us. God, what is my part? Reality number three. So it's responsibility of the people of God, number one. We've talked about that. Number two, family discipleship is the responsibility of the entire family of faith. And number three, back to what we said earlier. I know I'm repeating myself. Is this. Family discipleship does begin in the home. Now, Psalm 127. You can flip over there for a minute if you'd like. I want to read you a couple verses. Psalm 127, beginning in verse 1, helps us understand the picture... We're given a, a, a metaphor here, a word picture of the role and of the value of discipleship taking place first in the home. In partnership with the family of faith. Yes, primarily in the home. Psalm 127 verse 1. Very familiar passage. Let me read this. Verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For the Lord gives to his beloved even in his sleep. 
If you like sleep, claim that verse. God, thank you that you fight for me even when I'm asleep. Right? And by the way, this is a side note, God gives us sleep on a daily basis that we can lay our head down on our pillow and say, by the way, I'm going to rest and give it to you because you are God and I'm not. And I think God gives us sleep on a daily basis as a reminder. He's God and we're not. He gives to his beloved even as we sleep. I love that. Verse 3. Behold. Behold, it's one of those transition statements. Hey! Listen, get this. Behold. And I am quite amazed and I'm not going to make a a politically charged statement here. I'm just going to say we live in a culture where verse 3 is a controversial verse. Incredible. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. Amen? Children are a gift from God. Now, some parents are saying, even when their nose is running and their diaper's wet and poop's coming out the side of their diaper, yeah, they're still a gift from God. Did you just say the P word? Yeah, sorry, okay, I just got graphic. May not always seem like gifts from the Lord, but the Bible says those children that are entrusted to you and to me and even to the larger faith family are gifts from God. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Now, here's the picture. Verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. What's full? I don't know. I can say this. For us, five is full as far as we know, right? My wife says, amen. You didn't hear that. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So what does this have to do with family discipleship? Well, there's a picture here. You're intended to see this picture. First picture is this. Children are a gift entrusted by God. That's very clear. Secondly, you are to see our children as arrows. In that day, no warrior would be caught without arrows in a sense. And a warrior understood one of the most important things he had in his arsenal was that arrow. But here's the picture. He understood when I pull that drawstring back, arrows are not intended to be kept and stored. Arrows are intended to be launched out. No hunter made any sense to say, hey, look at all my collection of arrows, and there's a war going on. No, no. These arrows were given to be sent out. The point is this. Our children are entrusted to us, and whether you like it or not, a day's coming when they're going to be, whoop, sent out into the world. You probably don't want your son, 29 years old, at home, still eating mama's cereal every morning. You want to be sent out into the world. And you say, what do you know about that, Mike? I've got an 18-year-old right now. So how many times have I asked myself, and how many times have we wrestled as parents, Lord, over 18 years we have messed up more than we've got it right, but God, we have attempted as best we know how by your word and by your spirit, working with the larger church, God, send that arrow out in a way that glorifies you. That arrow is going out. Parents, if you have children, larger church family, Every child is like an arrow, is going to be sent out. The question is, what is the trajectory? Where are they going? 
Where's that arrow going? And the picture is around the idea of investing in the next generation. You're able to pull that arrow out of your quiver and you've done everything humanly possible. Not right all the time. Not perfect all the time. You probably messed up more than you've got it right. But I've done everything I can to equip that arrow that when I launch that thing out, it's going somewhere that counts for the kingdom of God. That arrow is going somewhere. Now, let me tell you what an archer didn't do in this day. Let me just give you a quick personal illustration that might set this up a little bit. I think I've told this story. It was probably years ago. I can't remember. When I lived out in Las Vegas uh, many years ago, our backyards in Las Vegas were about the size of a minivan. They're really small. You had center block around each side and we lived at the end of the cul-de-sac and we had a wall and on the other side of that wall was a shopping center with a lot of people and I I got on this kick with my boys that I wanted to teach them how to do archery I wanted to teach them to be able to shoot a bow and arrow I think it's something boys ought to be able to do well I didn't even know how to shoot a bow and arrow so I was trying to learn and we were in the backyard one day and we had a, a play set on the other side of our yard with a, with a slide that went all the way up. And I was just goofing off and, and I, didn't, I, wasn't really, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I pulled that arrow back and I thought, man, I'm going to shoot it. It's going to hit right into that play set. I'm going to pull that arrow out and I'm going to look cool. Well, I pulled it back and I launched it and it hit the slide. Now, I don't know if you know what happens when a bow and arrow hits a fiberglass slide going upward. The word is massive acceleration. So this thing hits that and goes straight up and accelerates straight up into the sky. Now get this, over the buildings of the shopping center, and I stand there helplessly and watch it fall where I know there are hundreds of people over there shopping. That happened. So I scamper out, and I'm thinking, should I go see what happened, or should I just pretend I don't even know anything about it? So I said, Jennifer, you need to go over there and figure out what's going on. I got my car, I went over, found the parking lot, and thank, no joke, thank God, I found the arrow. It had harmlessly fallen in the parking lot between cars. So I quickly picked up my arrow and went back home. Now watch this. No archer ever shoots an arrow and closes his eyes and says, man, I hope it works out. Ever. The point of Psalm 127 is your children are arrows and you are going to pull them back in that bow. They are going to be sent out. The question for you is what is the direction that they're going? What has this 14, 16, 18 years of investment looked like in their lives to prepare for that day that's coming when those arrows are going to be sent out from your hand into the world? See that? Here's your last point this morning. This is where we're going to spend a few minutes and we'll be done. We know it is the responsibility of the people of God to tell the next generation. We know it is all our responsibility. We know it begins at home as we see here in Psalm 127. Here's the final point. Reality number four is this. Family discipleship demands a plan. Period. Demands a plan. It demands something to say, here's my plan. Here's what I've been doing for 18 years. I've trained, I'm pulling back, and there's a plan to that arrow. Otherwise, you're closing your eyes and blindfolding and shooting into the sky and hoping it works out. It's not a plan. 
So for us, as a family of faith, we are endeavoring over the last two to three years to together develop a holistic plan and strategy so we can, with intentionality and consistency, carry out what God has called us to do in His Word. We have that responsibility. We have that responsibility. Nothing of value comes about without a degree of planning and intentionality. My family took a family vacation this year. We went down to Myrtle Beach. Here's what I did not do. I didn't get in the car, turn off the GPS and say, hey, I don't know where we're going on family vacation. We're just going. I hope it works out. You don't do that with five kids. <laughs> you better know where you're stopping for rest stops. And you better know where you're going to get food. You better know where you're going to spend the night. Or when the family vacation's over, you're going to look back and go, it just didn't work out the way we I imagine a lot of us put time and effort into planning a week of family vacation. I do too. I bet a lot of us put time and effort and energy into a lot of things in our family. But let me just encourage you and hold out to you this morning. The Bible is calling us. The Bible is giving us the responsibility to say, what is our intentional plan together? To partner the family of faith and the family of ho- at home to invest in the next generation. The family of faith, our next-gen leaders, Pastor Paul, Pastor Daniel, Austin, along with volunteer leaders, have been in a process and continue the process of developing an intentional strategy and plan that takes a child from infancy all the way up through adulthood, that there is a strategy and a plan that we can all come around. It is consistent, it is holistic, and man, it is a world-class strategy to hold out and say, here's our plan as a church. It's called, and you all know this, it's called the Family Discipleship Plan. Now, I want some of us to get past this morning that I'm just touting a program. Family Discipleship Plan is not a curriculum. You say, I got on there and I looked, it was so co-. It's, it's not a curriculum. The Family Discipleship Plan for us, me included, I'm a dad, I'm using it. I'll tell you how we're using it in a minute. It's not merely a curriculum. It is a pursuit to carry out what the Bible has called us to do. It is a toolkit in your hands. It is a roadmap in your hand to carry out what God has called us to do. It is a pursuit. It is an effort to carry out what God has called us to do. Secondly, I want you to get this mental picture really quick. And I'm just going to go over these really broad, and then many of you are going to leave here in just a few minutes when I'm finished. We're going to invite and strongly encourage parents, caregivers, aunts, uncles to go over to the outpost. You'll hear a whole lot more details about the semester to come, about where we are with the family discipleship plan, how you can take it and carry it out in your home today if you're not doing that already. I want you to see the family discipleship plan this morning as a roadmap. It's not just a curriculum, it's a roadmap. When completed and it's still being developed, it'll create a map to follow going from infancy to adulthood. Now, I know when we hear the idea of the family discipleship plan, here's some conversations that I've had, and I've thought this as well. Well, listen, I'm a parent, I'm doing my best, I'm attempting some things. Man, God bless you. I know there are parents here that are trying to use tools. I'm the same way. And we've had kids for 18 years now. And Jennifer will tell you, we've tried this plan and that plan. We've tried this tool. And some of them were really good. What we have lacked over 18 years, first of all, is any consistency. <laughs> I'll just be honest. 
we'll go this direction, we'll use that, we'll use this. We need something to keep us consistent that are some rails to run on. We've lacked the accountability of the entire church coming around it. One of the great things about the family discipleship plan is in your life groups, in your conversations, parents are able to say, yeah, here's how we use the devotion this week. Yeah, here's how we're talking about the theme this week. How are you guys doing it? And no parent should feel like they're in this journey alone. Shouldn't feel that way. And then for us, as a family, we lacked a comp- comprehensive strategy. We had something good when Josh was six, and maybe something when he was 10, and maybe Joseph. Would, but the idea that we could follow a strategy and a roadmap that began at infancy and carried all the way through 18 into adulthood, we could never develop that on our own. That's why the family of faith is developing this thing called the family discipleship plan together. This is incredible. Think about this. When it's fully developed... Preschool's finished now. Elementary's just launching. We're developing middle school and high school. It's going to take a few years. We're doing this together. When this thing is fully developed, it'll take a child from infancy at preschool and teaching them the foundation of who God is. Weeks and weeks build upon who is God. Then into elementary. What is the gospel? What is the story? What are the implications of the gospel? Then in middle school years, to take our middle schoolers and build in them the identity. Who are we in Christ? When I was in middle school, man, I needed somebody to tell me who I was in Christ because I had everybody else telling me who I was. And then for our high schoolers, the direction and the focus will be, okay, what's your influence? Here's your mission. You're going to be launched out in a few years as an arrow. And think about it. Over an 18-year period, if a child spends all those 18 years as a part of this family of faith, they have a foundation of who God is, a depth of what the gospel is, understanding their identity in Christ, and then they're launched out understanding their influence and mission in the world. Listen, that gets me excited. And you get to be a part of that as a family of faith and as a church this morning. Think of the family discipleship plan as a toolkit. It's a roadmap and it's a toolkit. There are a lot of things in there to use. Our family, I just tell you how we're very quickly, we're learning to use it just like all the families here. There's an overview page. We pull that overview page out. We put it on our refrigerator. We put it in our girls' rooms and it carries a theme that we try to walk through for the week. A few weeks ago, one of the themes, themes was this. God loves us even when we're unlovable. I mean, I found myself saying that a lot. <laughs> God loves us, even when we're unlovable. That was the theme of the week. Then there was a verse attached to it where we were memorizing this verse. And they were hearing at home the same thing they were hearing here at church. And we were partnering together. There's a family devotion that you can pull out and use at night of the week. There's other tools in that toolkit for you to use. It's all not going to be for you, but just get in there and find out, okay, I can use this. And this is going to help me. And I'm struggling with that. It's a toolkit for you and us as a family of faith to use. Now, I'm finished, except (laughs) I got a challenge for you. So I'm going to take just a minute or two, and I I want all of us just to, as a family of faith, just to tune in here with me. You've heard what the Word of God has to say about our responsibility to tell the next generation. It belongs to all of us for each one of us. Each one of us have a part to play. So here's the challenge. Let me first give a challenge to the entire church body. Here's your challenge. We have been entrusted with the responsibility to tell the next generation about the greatness and the glory of God. What is your part in this? Because we all have a part. 
It may be, like I said, a platform where you're teaching on a Sunday morning. It may be where you're coming alongside a parent. It may be where you ask for names of young parents and say, I'm just going to pray for some young parents and pray for some young kids. It may be the role of God, give me a young couple to encourage like we talked about before. We all have a part in this larger church family. What's your part? Secondly, let me speak directly to parents, grandparents, and caregivers. I want you to know something from my heart this morning, that family discipleship is not for the paid professionals. I understand that there is a sense, and I need you to know as dad, Mike, I'm going to put my dad hat on, one of the areas of greatest fear, one of the areas of greatest weakness, where I feel like I blow it most of the time, is in the area of trying to disciple my own family. It's a struggle for all of us because I want so much for my family. Let me give you a word here. I'm going to quote Pastor Paul. Paul said this a few weeks ago. The most significant thing the majority of us will ever accomplish with our lives is not something we do, but someone we raise. We are all disciple makers. The only question is whether we are pointing the someones in our lives to find their joy in Jesus or to find it in something else. Now here's another statement. This statement freed me up so many years ago. Reggie Joyner said this. No one has more potential to influence a child's relationship with God than a parent. No one. The most awkward attempt of a parent to pray with a son or daughter is a thousand times more powerful than a seasoned believer who is not their parent. You have been entrusted as the parents. And there is a mantle and an authority that God has entrusted to you. So families, here's our challenge as a family of faith. We're going to challenge you and all of us are in this together to own this and hold this out. We are praying, we are asking God, and we are challenging you that over the next three months, we as a church will have at least 100 families in our church that are beginning or at least utilizing the family discipleship plan at home. We're going to measure it, we're going to track it, we're going to celebrate it. We're saying, God, we're praying for 100 families. Over the next three months, they will come back in three months and say, we've started to use it. We're using the family discipleship plan. We're figuring it all out, but we're beginning that process in the home. We're challenging you to that. I'm holding that out and challenging my own family to that. And you as parents and caregivers and grandparents. Now, last word and I'm finished. I'm going to ask the team to come on up and just begin to play. We're not going to close the service in song. I'm just going to pray over you in just a minute. But I'm going to ask the team to come on up. And I have one more final challenge. And I... I'm just going to tell you, I need help getting through this, but here's my challenge, all right? Third challenge that I have for you this morning is to dads. Now, with great sensitivity to homes that are here with absent fathers, and there are many, and I understand that. With great sensitivity to single moms who are trying to play two roles, and I understand that. Great awareness to moms that you are the energy and the barometer of the home and you bring life to our home just like my wife does. I want to say something to you dads this morning. There is a reason that Paul says in Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children, but raise your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Dads, I want you to look at me. Somehow, some way, the enemy has fooled us into thinking that we can't do this. 
somehow, some way that we do not have the power or the capacity to be the pace setters in our home. Listen, dads, you are, by the authority of God, the leader. You are the pace setter. And you are the one that sets the priorities in the home. God has given you that mantle. And I'll say this. I say this with great passion because Wednesday night I did preside over the service, the funeral service of a father. My dad. And the verse I used that night was Proverbs 20, verse 7. It says, a righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. I have been blessed by a dad who was not a scholar. He was not a seminarian. He was raised in the hills of North Carolina. He was one of eight kids. They didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. And he was raised by a dad who did not invest in him. But I want you to know something. I'm the product now of a dad who led, he set the pace, he established priorities, he demonstrated a genuine walk in front of me, and I thank God for that man in my life God entrusted to me. Dads, you are that. You are that. It's our responsibility. Begins in the home. Dads, set the pace. Dads, lead out. Investigate it. Say, I want to figure out how to do it. Here's a tool. Guys, we're going to use this in our home. Dad, you establish that priority in our homes and in our churches. And we'll be able to honor the Lord by carrying out the responsibility that He's given to us to tell the next generation. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Just right there in your seat and we're not going to stand and sing. We're just going to have a word of prayer over you this morning. And right there where you're seated this morning, I want to say this to you. First of all, as a church family, I I pray everyone in the room is asking God this morning, right now, right now, what's my part, Lord? It may be when this service is over, many of you as parents and caregivers are going to go across the street to the outpost to be a part of Parent Connect this morning. I pray that's the case. It may be that many of you go online or speak to one of our children's workers and say, I, I, I want to serve. Find me a place to serve. I want to invest. It may be that you say, God, show me a young couple. Show me a single mom. Show me a family that I can invest in and come alongside. God, show me that. Maybe you're here and you're a family and you say, you know what? We as a family are going to begin using the family discipleship plan. We hear the challenge. We hear the goal. A hundred families. We want to be a part of that. Dads, are you ready to lead out? Pray that you're asking God right now for the courage, the grace, not heavy-handed, but setting the priorities. That arrow, those arrows in your home, they are going to be shot out one day. Where are they going? Where are they going? We pray for you. We'll dismiss in just a minute. Lord, thank you for this time this morning. God, I thank you that in my heart and I pray in the hearts of our parents and our families and our church body, Lord, we are wowed and overwhelmed with the responsibility that you have given us to the next generation. God, as parents and caregivers and moms and dads, Lord, we thank you for that gift. We thank you for the gift of children. And God, we want to be faithful to what you've called us to this morning. And God, I do pray, hey, God, I pray favor this morning on the dads 
in this room. That they would set the pace. That they would be the initiators. That they would establish the priorities for the homes and for this church of what we're going to pursue together over the next 15 to 20 years. And God, give us courage. For the glory of King Jesus. And for the good of the generation that will follow us, we pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen.